Welcome to the Mesmerizing Marketing Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the latest marketing trends, tools, and tips, and provide you with the top resources you need to thrive and make your marketing mesmerizing. And now, here's your host, Dimple Dang. Hello, my Mesmerizing Marketing Tribe. Today, I am so excited to be here with Shafath Hashmi. He is a serial entrepreneur who has been featured on reputable publications in the media. And he also has an investment firm with over 42 portfolio companies. He's also the founder and CEO of Brand Beat. And he has 10 global offices all over the world. And he's been in business for 13 years. And he also serves as a board member for 25 startups. So Shafath, this is so amazing to have you on my show. Welcome. Hi, Dimple. Such a pleasure. And I'm truly honored to be here at your show on Mesmerizing Marketing. And congratulations on your 50th episode. So, so good to be part of that. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, you know, you and I, we met on Clubhouse like a lot of people did and I've been in many of your rooms. You've been in some of my rooms and just there's something very magnetic about you. Right. And today we're going to be talking about building a brand that's also magnetic and starting a company in a startup that you can really grow and scale and make it successful. And I think that a lot of, you know, startups and a lot of business owners, they don't know some of these fundamental basics of what they need to do to build a brand that's going to be successful, that's going to have recognition, it's going to have the ability to grow into a million dollar company. And these are all things that you're very experienced at. So when it comes to being an entrepreneur, being a startup, launching a new company, you know, what do you think is the most important thing, you know, that, that a new company or startup needs to think about when it comes to building their brand for their company? I think it's a, it's a wonderful question. And, and also, as far as I'm concerned, I think the first thing one needs to look at is that what kind of a problem is your business solving? And when you're solving a problem, you need to figure out the following. Is it a pain point which you are trying to address? How urgent it is and whether or not people are ready to or your customers are ready to pay money for it? These are the three basic questions when, you, when you're considering a problem that you're willing to solve. And also, how much efficient is your solution compared to any other pre-existing solutions out there? And how much comfort and convenience is it going to give? And most importantly, what value is it going to deliver? Is it value-driven or not? So majority of the times, it's like that we have a problem that we have faced, and a lot of entrepreneurs assume uh, sitting at their couch or wherever that, you know, this is probably a problem that anybody can relate with, and it might have a, a huge total addressable market. But you, getting your numbers right, getting your research right, and making sure that there is a demo what you're trying to do is, is extremely important at the ideation stage. And then I think we can go about on and on and on about it to, you know, taking care of how do you plan to scale it and how do you want to monetize it or whether or not it's monetizable. And, you know, then how do you really raise investments? So the last thing I want to say is the business idea needs to be at a stage where a great business idea is something that you could bootstrap at the very instant, you know, the, the moment you really start. You could go the MVP route or you could just, you know, go straight ahead launching your product or service. But it needs to be have that system where it can be bootstrapped and investment should only be raised considering that it is going to be a catalyst which is going to propel your business faster in terms of growth compared to doing it otherwise. I think one of the things that really stands out too is like, you mentioned, you know, doing that research ahead of time, doing that market research, because that's something that is really important. And I think a lot of startups and entrepreneurs fail to even see if there's a need for what they want to create, you know, and I think if there's not a need for it, the company's going to fail. So really, that's one of the most, you know, instrumental things is determine if there's a need in the marketplace. Is this something that people want? Is this something they're going to pay for? Is this something they're willing to invest in, right? So I think that you brought up a really great point about that. So thank you for sharing that. 
And I think people really confuse branding and marketing. And I find that all the time because, I mean, you're a branding expert. I'm a marketing expert. And I think people sometimes mesh both of those together. But in actuality and reality, those are very two distinct different things. So from you, what is your definition of branding? Yeah, I think you just picked it up so rightly. A lot of people do not differentiate between the two. You know, branding is is, is way deeper than just doing a a mere logo design or a, or a packaging design or just getting those creatives out there or considering that you could put up a great website and, you know, write some great content. Branding is, is beyond that. It is about defining, first of all, the essence, the true spirit of the brand, which is out there, you know, which is in perfect alignment with, with your brand promise, with, with the purpose of your of your brand you know what does it do how does it add value how does it communicate so what's the what's the brand voice what's the brand character and all of that needs to be out there it's important to have a brand manual too but again you know we could go on and on about it and say okay you need to have your you know typical branding stationary designs and profiles and websites and so on and so forth but we need to understand that branding is just a very small portion that comes under advertising or marketing as a whole. So the hierarchy is essentially marketing and the marketing mix, which is your product, you know, your distribution plan or placement, and then your pricing models. And under promotions, essentially comes advertising, and then under advertising comes branding. But then at a marketing mix, you also have people, processes, and packaging. So again, under packaging also comes branding. So, you know, we need to understand that marketing is is way larger and bigger and requires a much bigger strategy as well to, you know, execute. And it's, it's, it's way beyond than just putting up money on media and doing, you know, what, what people usually do or simple advertising online and offline. You know, marketing as a whole is a much bigger concept. And as you rightly said, we, we generally are into the marketing process and marketing strategy, which, which really encompasses your commercial um, strategy, brand marketing strategy, marketing strategy, going out in the market and commercial strategy. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, when it comes to marketing as well, I think that a lot of, you know, business owners and even startups, they, they sometimes are like, oh, what packages do you have? You know, and marketing is not about packages. Marketing is about providing solutions that solve your customers' problems, right? And I think that I have to explain to potential clients when they come to me and say, everything we do is customized. Everything we do is customized based on what your needs are, based on who your clients are, based on the areas you want to target. And for all the companies out there that are providing these cookie cutter packages, I just don't think that those are the type of programs that work because every business is different, right? And every business has, you know, something unique. And when you um, put branding into it, a brand is supposed to evoke emotions in people. And I think that a brand that has really done a good job of building a brand, when you go to someone's website, you see the brand, when you see a billboard, when you hear a commercial, it should evoke some type of a emotional feeling, whether it inspires you, whether it motivates you, whether it compels you to do something, right? So Shafat, can you talk a little bit about the emotional component of a brand, of what it's really supposed to do if it's done the right way? I think you're, you're spot on. It's, it's, it's twofold. So it's brand is something, you know, when we look at the, the rule, which is very interesting, is IDA that is attraction and then interest and then desire and then it's action. So if you look at the first three, that is attraction, interest and desire, all three are emotion driven. And the last one, which is action, is actually uh, more on the on the left brain of the part, you know, which is more rational driven. What is it that's gonna, you know, push me to pull out my wallet and pull out that money out of it and that and that card and, and charge it. So when we talk about the emotional appeal, it's, 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 it's way beyond than, than what we generally understand in the advertising space, and which is, okay, if I do a great logo, if I do a great billboard, 
if I put up an interesting campaign, which is very engaging, very emotional, it can touch with me, I can relate to it as a customer. All of that is great, but it doesn't stop there. You know, the emotions that we trigger is literally how do you generate leads? The moment you send in a message or a DM, you know, on that online page or however the funnel is created, is it a bot? Is it, or is it a human? How, how is it responding to the, to the questions of the customer? How is it making their life easy? How quickly can a customer hop on a call and discuss? And, you know, what, what kind of greetings they receive? How is their problems handled? How, how are they given updates about the delivery of the package? How can they track it? How, when, when they receive it, what is their, you know, unboxing experience? Or what is their service experience generally? And then once they're done, consuming or utilizing those services or products. The question is, what was, what, what kind of emotions, emotional journey, and what kind of a roller coaster ride was that, you know? And what is the aftertaste? And then how do you deal with your customers? How do you reach out to them? And how personalized is your customer services? So all of that essentially creates emotions. So if you look at, you know, great brands out there, as simple as McDonald's, so you'll be like, okay, I, I go in, this is the minimal level of customer experience that I would get. In less than five minutes, I'll get my meal and I can go through a drive-thru. I'll be greeted well. When I come out, it's going to be clean. I'm not going to see flies. I'm not going to see, um, it's going to be hygienic and so on and so forth. So every single time you deliver on your brand promise. And the more you deliver on your brand promise, the trust is built. And that is known as brand equity. So when we look at branding and the emotional bit that you have shared, it just makes so much sense because it's not only what we communicate on our packaging and we, we could be aggressive about it and people can, you know, blow their own trumpet and say, oh, we can do that. And my brand promises this and that. But real brands are built when they really echo the voice of their customers in, a, in the most profound way, engage them, attract them and build that desire that inspiration that, oh my God. And they, they need to have their wow factor, which, which is jaw dropping. And people are like, yeah, that's exactly what I was looking at. So just pressing the right cards at the right time and, and putting the right lyrics on top of it and then making sure it all sinks in and does its music two years. Yeah, I mean, the wow factor though, I just, you know, I love the concept of it, but I think that that is something that, business owners struggle with, right? They they struggle with the wow factor and they struggle with the identity even of their brand. Because I, like I said, you know, I think a lot of people think a brand is just a logo, a brand is just a website, a brand is just like the brand colors or the font. And it's not, it's so much more than that, right? And, and it's like a whole voice, it's a whole feeling, it's a whole experience that you create for people in the way that you conduct your business from the moment they walk into your office, the moment they go to your website, the moment they come to your events, right? And I think that, you know, that piece, like a lot of people just skip the whole branding thing. They go straight to thinking, well, I just need a website. I'm going to get a website launched. I just need a logo. But I don't think that they really take the time to build that brand identity, which is so important. You know, things like what is their mission statement? What is their tagline? What do they believe in and what do they stand for? So when you're saying that, you know, when their audience is wowed, right, and their customers are wowed, it's also to me that relatability factor that I think that you have to build a brand that your potential clients and audience can relate to because if they are able to relate to it, they're going to be drawn in, they're going to be mesmerized, and they're going to want more of that. And that, I mean, is not always an easy task, right? So maybe you can walk us through, you know, maybe some of the processes that you would implement with your clients to, to come to those answers or what you would tell someone if that's something that they need to accomplish it's, it's such a wonderful question and thanks for taking that deep dive you know and this, this is what i what i so love about you and what you do is because you know there are not a lot of agencies and people out there who truly understand marketing the, the one of the core problems is that if you're a customer if, if you're if you're an entrepreneur or even if you're a brand manager or, or you know a cmo you need to trust the process. You need to trust your partners who are your advertising agency or marketing agency. 
or consultants or however you want to put that, or let's say advisors, because we need to realize that you only give out certain jobs outside of your domain because that's not something that I, either you have the time to do that them or you don't have, you probably have the expertise to do that. And sometimes you do have a vision how you see your brand, but then there is, it has to be a shared vision. It's, it's not about my mission or my vision. It is about what others value and what is the mission of your customers? What is the mission of your consumers? When, when they look at your brand, how do they feel? Why do they buy? What are those driving forces? So it's just like that if there's, if you got a girlfriend who loves flowers, but you keep taking her out to five-star hotels and private jets and buy her all the branded bags and, and, and heels and everything, but you didn't give her flowers, right? So all of that is in vain. So it's not about what you can give or what you value. It is more about what she values and what she wants. And she wanted flowers. So if you haven't given flowers, it doesn't really matter. You have to give her flowers. So this is these are the basics. Typically, a lot of entrepreneurs I've met, when they get into this branding marketing exercise, they start sharing inspirations from internet. And they say, well, what if my logo looks like this? So you start working on those those lines, and then they turn around and say, no, 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 my competition has something like this. So could you design something like this? And then you start working on that. And once everything is done and the logo, brand manuals, everything is in place, and then suddenly they come back and they say, you know what? I don't like it because I think somebody else has something better. And now I want to add this. And I think if I add this color and if I add this element, and because I had a vision that this logo looks, it needs to be like that. You, you mess the whole design process. Yeah. And then the final output that comes out is ridiculous. And same is true when we overdo our websites, when there's a lot of content that one needs to share. And the moment an agency or the content and communications director are trying to make it concise, you know, the, the entrepreneur jumps in and says, no, 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 this needs to be out there. And I want to do a, a five paragraphs explanation to it. So we need to understand that once you're working with an agency, th these people are experts like ourselves, yourself and, and, and my agency. And, you know, I've got 250 people working for me, right? And, and 10 international offices. And each one of them are hand curated and very well trained before they start, you know, serving our clients. And I do trust them. I, I trust their design thinking. I trust their communications. I understand how do they look through the business how do they cut through the chase and, and how do they really go deep down and, and become a custodian of the brand? And this is where exactly where processes come into picture. So, you know, we need to trust the people we work with. Otherwise, don't work with them. You know, build that trust, vet your agency, have a number of preliminary meetings, as many as you want before you engage them. But once you engage them, try not to drive the process. Let them drive the process. Let them give you performance, let them, you know, take you through it and, and ask relevant questions, be logical in your discussions and, and be smart about it. Because let's remember one thing, the more you delay it, it is not that it costs the agency, it is going to cost you time and money. So take the shots, take the calls, push it forward. The sky won't fall if you have a wrong packaging or if you have a bad website, you could always redo the website one year from now, 10 months from now. You could always redesign the packaging two years from now, you know? So the most important part is you need to start somewhere as an entrepreneur. So when you're starting out, just, just start, you know, just, just put it out there, but make sure that you have budgets for it. So as part of your investment plan, you need to invest in, in brand marketing. And that is very, very important. Yeah. I mean, you have such a great point because I've seen this happen way too many times where, you know, clients will want a logo, but then they're always looking at what everyone else is doing. And not just that, they'll take it, they'll show it to other people who don't really know anything about marketing and branding and business, and they'll get their opinion. And the more people they ask, to be honest, what happens is the more confused that they get. And then they're like something that they initially liked and they wanted to go forward with that logo, now they're like, no, 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 you know what? I want to change this color. I want to change this. I want to change this. 
So what ends up happening is it turns into this endless process of changes, edits, changes, edits with no rhyme and reason, like not really the business reason behind it. And when you're saying, you know, it's really important for clients to, you know, trust their agency, to trust, you know, their marketing specialist, to trust the person they're working with. That's really important because if you're hiring and retaining the services of someone, you're hiring them because you believe that they're the best person to help you to get that job done. That is an expert in their niche of what they do, whether it's branding, whether it's marketing, whatever it happens to be. But then when you hire that person and you don't trust them, it's almost like insulting to, to that person because you hired them, but then you're not giving them the freedom and liberty to create something amazing for you because you keep interrupting the process, right? And like you said, trust the process. And I think that is really, really key. But I think a lot of clients don't understand when they are derailing the process is what I would call it. And and I'm sure you've, you've seen it happen. And that's why you're mentioning that. Yeah, I mean, you, you're absolutely right, because we have seen it happen a lot of times. And we've also seen this happen that some of our clients, I mean, we do have a 93.6 or 7% client retention rate as of February, you know, this year. But, and that's an aggregate of the last 13 years. So some of those, you know, 7% or, or 4% clients, which were, which, which moved on. The funny part is that they'll engage with us first, we'll do a great job. And then you've ex rightly mentioned, they'll get confused because they have all these people out there, you know, and who knows absolutely nothing about it. And then they mess it up, they mess it up further. And then six months later, one year later, when they have, they have burnt their fingers, they come back to us. And they're like, oh, is there any way we can engage again? And then you can do this, you can do that. And sometimes we say, okay, let's do this. But the funny part is that even the second time once they get engaged, they still repeat the same mistake. Sure. And the third time they get engaged, they repeat the same mistake. So we need to understand that, that as an entrepreneur, identify those patterns and those systems or those processes that you put into place and see where, where, where do they go wrong. And then, you know, break those patterns. You know, as I always say, it's okay to, to do a mistake, but it's definitely not okay to repeat a mistake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't want to make the same mistake twice, right? Like once you do it, fine. You do, you make the same mistake twice. I say, shame on you. You know, that's what I say. So Shafat, I'm going to sidetrack here because I, I just thought like, you know what? I really want to get to know you better. And I want our listeners to get to know you better. So I'm going to take you way, way back when you were a kid. We're going to transport back to when, I don't know if you can even remember this far back, but when maybe you were five years old or 10 years old or 15 years old. And my question is, you know, were you always entrepreneurial from a young age? Like, what were you like when you were a kid? I, I was always entrepreneurial, but... I wasn't entrepreneurial in an aggressive way. I think I was more a creative person. So I would love to paint, play music, innovate. And I was just very smart because I'll always try to look for solutions. And I would always challenge the regular, the ordinary. And I would always also try to bring out the extraordinary from the ordinary. So I used to be a very shy kid until I was in grade six and then grade six onwards, you know, I started, I was, should be about what, 10 years that this is exactly when I started, you know, spending a lot of time with my father. And since he, he served the air force as a fighter pilot and he took an early retirement. So he started all with his business and I used to be part of that business. So I would always sit alongside every single time he will have a business meeting or he'll have his vendors, suppliers, some customers coming in, or when he was negotiating or when he was doing procurement or when he was dealing with the customs officers or the tax people and accountants and all the rest of it. So I was always next to him and I would always see what is it that he does. And I'll throw in my ideas as a kid that how about we do this and how about we do that? I was always, you know, I think more of a, more of a brand person from, from day one. So I remember that I did my first logo design, which is not that I, I designed it, but I directed it. 
alongside an artist as to what I wanted was when I was literally 13 years of age. And, you know, so I've always been into this and I've always tried to figure out that, okay, if we buy this, how much can we sell it for? If I do this, how could I do that? And I've always been a giver, you know, from day one dimple. So even when I would do business, even back then, <laughs> you know, as a kid, I would I would tell people to sample, you know, <laughs> I'll say, hey, listen, I'm just going to put it up. If you like it, you know, pay me. And if you don't, it's all right. You know, but yeah. if you don't like it, then make sure you give it back to me, too. <laughs> right. Right. So, you know, so the, the idea is that I've always been someone who who believes in wine tasting before you start selling wine. And that is very important. It helps you build the trust. It also makes you understand that whether or not you can, I mean, you know, business is all out. So the, the, the industry that me and you are serving, which is advertising and marketing is billions of dollars, right? And yeah. there, are, there are millions of customers out there. It's, it's like how well you gel in with someone and not every customer will align with you and not every person looking for marketing is your customer. You need to have a little bit of understanding to pick and choose the, the right consumers, the right customers with whom you can grow and they can grow with you. So it's really a very solid, strong partnership you do because it's not easy to trust your brand with, with a random agency. You know, somebody is going to name you once. So when, when I was born, they named me Shafat and that's my brand. Now, if they, I think if they did a wrong job, they did a bad job, it would be very difficult for me to change my name, right? What does Shafat stand for? How have I built Shafat over the last 30 years in business and otherwise? So all of these add up. And this is exactly how you put a brand. You need to make sure that you're rubbing shoulders with the right people. You're meeting the right people. You're having the right mentors. You're spending um, your time wisely. I think all of those things matter at the end of the day. Yeah, that's very fascinating to me. I mean, so like from a young age, you were very creative, you were very inquisitive. And, you know, you were sitting there designing logos and things like that. And I know that you also mentioned like you have investment firms and all that. But in terms of like branding and marketing, you know, what was your why for starting Brandbeat? And tell me a little bit more about that part. You know, that's it's, it's a very interesting why. I worked on the brand marketing side for, for companies like Levi's, the jeanswear brand. And I worked at a global level with Levi's. And then um, I moved on and worked with another family office, which was huge in Dubai. And I worked as a group marketing head over there in real estate, in perfumes, in cosmetics, in retail. And they had over 700 plus SKUs. And... Then I moved on to another company, which was again, real estate investments and hospitality. And I worked again at a group level as a, as a director for marketing. Now, all these years of uh, working on the client side, I have worked with the 4Ms. I have worked with the top, top, top advertising agencies because we had those kinds of budgets. But then I also tried, you know, small enterprises and I also tried new advertising agencies. The problem I faced with the regular advertising agency model has been that it was always me as a client who was giving them content, who was telling them to initiate marketing. It was always me giving them ideas for campaigns. It was always me who was saying, you know, let's do this, let's do that. And they would just say, okay, yeah, we're going to execute it. So you might have a great account manager who looks very sexy and hot and, you know, is very charming. But behind the scenes, there were just these regular operators, tool operators, I would say, who were graphic designers and web developers and programmers and, you know, digital marketeers or tech guys. But the only buffer was the account management and the account director. And not always will you come across an account director or account manager who will have uh, direct experience in that business vertical or in that sector. So they would usually have irrelevant experiences. And the worst part was that they would always try to upsell you and cross-sell you. They would always try to say, if you're getting a commission, let's say 20% on on some outdoor media site, they're going to come to me and they're going to say, oh, this looks so good and our brand must be out there, blah, 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 just because they're making money out of it. So that was a conflict of interest when you would do media planning and the, the commissions that 
regular advertising agencies receive through event management, through media buying and so on and so forth. So, you know, I then came up with an agency which I thought was is really the need of the hour. It's not always design driven. It's not always graphics driven. It's not always that an agency will sit in front of you and say, oh, your brand is this and we can't do that. And we can't do that. It's not that. It's, it's ultimately it's dollars. It's, 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 it's revenues. If, if a campaign is not giving revenues, it doesn't matter. And I would have agencies come down on my table and they would just laugh. And they would say, oh, this is so witty. And this is so funny. And I would say, and this is super creative. And I would say, yeah, it is. But, you know, it doesn't resonate. It, it, it's not something which is going to push my customers to buy or convert. So, you know, yes, it's funny, but but yes, this is about it. So it's not only the recall factor, but it's more of the of the dollars as well, which is important. It's more of the engagement. So this is exactly why I started out with my agency, which is very well-rounded, which is transparent, which doesn't take commissions and has a lot of integrity. We do not push media and, and ideas down our customers' throats. So we're more of an advisory company, which executes. So really, we are more of an extension of your marketing department that is going to, you know, execute for you. So I always represent my client. So even when my team is working on a brand and when they make a presentation, I sit on the client side and I say, OK, I'm on their side. So now present, you know, show me what you guys have done. And then we look into it uh, with, with a lot of critique, with a smart approach. And this is how we assess whether or not this campaign or this idea is going to work. So, you know, having that trust and having that solid partnership and, and coming back to the client with, with serious business ideas and the commercial viability and, and representing the correct ROI. So not just saying that, oh, we are doing this, so you invest so much money because it's going to build brand equity. You know, brand equity is anyways, it's inevitable. It will still be built if you're selling. So clear-cut performance, clear-cut ROI and clear-cut numbers and being technology-driven, being efficient and trying not to justify uh, your fee by presenting it as something overcomplicated. These are some of the things that we don't do. So if something is not overcomplicated, we do not charge. We, we tell it simply, we tell it straight and we are very transparent. So our, our client can always visit our offices, work with us hand in hand and we work with a lot and a lot of integrity and we don't do and you know you start staying with something dimple which is very very great you mentioned that uh, the cookie cutter thing with with packages oh yeah. i love that you were spot on we don't have any packages and we always take every single client um, as a unique case study so i'm going to land my plane by saying that our mantra is big or small equal rights for all this is how we treat our clients I love that. Big or small, equal rights for all. I love that. Yeah. And that's and that's something that clients really appreciate because one of the complaints that I used to hear, you know, when I was in corporate America and I used to sell marketing and advertising, one of the complaints I would hear from clients is, oh, your company, you know, doesn't care about us because we're just the little guy. We're just spending a little budget. We're not spending, you know, or 10K a month in the yellow pages and things like that. And, and that's something that a lot of customers, like they noticed that and it's something that they didn't like. And that's like what these corporations were doing and they're making them feel that way. And, and I think it's so important when you're like, you know what, it doesn't matter if you're small, you're big, we're gonna just give you the same level of exceptional service that you deserve. Because whether you're investing a dollar or whether you're investing a million dollars, it's all the same. And I think when you treat your clients with that type of, you know, service and integrity, that's how you build your company and brand, then it becomes talked about and you start getting referrals. And, and I think that's really important. And, you know, and you actually have, you know, you told me like you have over 250 employees all over the world. So Shafath, maybe we can rewind a bit and you can tell us about Brandbeat in terms of when you started and what was your growth plan and how did you go about hiring the right people? And what are some of the questions that you ask them to determine if they're the right fit for your organization? That's a very good question. I actually started 13 years ago in, in September. And 13 years ago, marketing was very different. Back then, I was working as a director of marketing with, with a very big company. And when I started out with my agency, I went up to my employer and I said, hey, listen, I'm starting off my agency and my agency is going to pitch you too. So 
there's no conflict of interest, but I'm just doing another business. And in Dubai, you know, it's uh, you need permission that if you're an employee, you need permission from your employer if you're starting out your own business, making sure there's 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 no legal problem with it. So I did that. I was at a very high position, so we did it. My first client was literally seven hundred dollars, and we were just two people with me and a graphic designer who I was paying about fifteen hundred dollars a month, and that's where we started. And he was really really junior and. That's where we started, but we serviced him. I mean, the idea is that if I go and I preach someone that and teach someone that this is how your brand experience should be, blah, 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 blah. But then if my own brand experience is, is, is bad and is not good, I need to walk the talk. So as an agency, I made sure that I do walk the talk. I made sure that I deliver on my promises. I made sure that I'm really solving a problem for companies out there. So the first three years was more referral based where I would, we would serve a client and then that client would refer us to other people. And I was letting people know that I do have an agency and my own agency started serving the, the company where I work for and we won the contract. So man, we did it on, on real terms. So, you know, that's when I switched. So it wasn't me getting into the entrepreneurial journey with my eyes closed and saying, oh, I'm going to burn all my boats and then jump into the ocean. I didn't do that. I was smart. I wanted to make sure that I had my recurring income coming through my, you know, nine to five job. And then at the same time, I'm building my company. I'm going through that route. I'm investing part of my salary into that company to sustain it. And I invested in it. And three years down the lane, when I realized that, yes, now I can make a switch. This is when I made a switch and I gave myself full time to the agency. So now coming to the hiring thing, I actually reverse engineered it. So we are one of the few investment groups and a group of companies which has a non-firing policy. We never fire somebody who we hire. And this puts up a lot of pressure to make sure that we do the right hiring. And we might demote someone, we might do job rotation, we might put you into any of my other 42 portfolio companies. The group can try to consume the same person inside in some other job, but we do not fire people. The last thing that we do is that we actually help my HR function helps them find a job. Once they land the job, we then accept for a few things, which is not to abide by the code of conduct. So, you know, if there's a case for theft, lie, deceit, selling our information or breaking some NDA or sexual harassment or, you know, stuff like that, that is when you actually get fired, uh, which is more attitude related, but professionally related, we will train you and we'll have the resource. So that puts a lot of pressure. We're one of the very few companies out there probably, and I, don't, I haven't heard of anything in UAE, but seven years, we have a non-firing policy, we do not fire anyone. We train them, we invest in them and, you know, all the rest of it. So for us, it's more like the attitude matters the most. Commitments, uh, sense of responsibility. These are the things which matters to me. A person matters to me. Profession and skills, I can always train people. So we are a very close-knit family with 250 people in the agency and about 30 plus in my investment firm. And then cumulative, if you look at our hotels, investment portfolio, and those 25 different startups, I think we have about more than 900 people working for us, you know. And Every time we hire, I meet each one of them at a personal level where I do have the access and I know them personally. I know their families. I know their children. I know their parents. I know their siblings. <laughs> I know what's going on in their lives. I know how much mortgage they have. I know what kind of debts they have to pay. One of the things that we do also do is that the moment we hire someone, we, we make them debt free. So if you got a credit card, a personal loan or a car loan, it gets paid literally in the first month when we hire you. Because I think that if someone has financial freedom and can make enough to reasonably and respectfully feed their family or feed themselves and can still save from the salaries that they make, they will be way more creative, way more innovative and very, very loyal. And they will always stick with you and they'll, they'll own that your, your company. They will, they'll have that feeling of ownership and it would, it would keep them there. They'll, they believe in your mission and in your shared vision. So we look for people who are really enthusiastic in what they do, and that's their life passion. Man, they take responsibility of their work, and they have a, people with a lot of integrity. So if something leaves their desk, they are 100% sure that it has left my desk, which means it's almost perfect, if not 100% perfect. But 
they take responsibility for it. And these are the type of people. Everything else we train. And, you know, training and learning is a, it's a, a, it's a two-way street and B, it's a cut as well. Wow. I mean, that is just fascinating. Like, you know, the way that you run your business, you know, the whole, we don't fire people, you know, you pay off their, their credit card so that, you know, when they're working there, they're stress-free so they don't have any financial worries. I mean, and, and again, like, you know, that goes back to the whole brand thing. Like that's your brand. Those are your core values. That is what you built off of. And you want to attract people that have you know, the core values of integrity that you like to run your business with. And I think that's right there is really, you know, a prime example. So thank you for sharing that. Cause I think it's really, to me, it's really fascinating. It's, and that's to me is mesmerizing. That's captivating. Cause I haven't heard anyone ever tell me those two things ever. And I know a lot of people. So I think that's remarkable. Now, you know, I want to talk a little bit about in terms of you know, brand beat and in, in terms of like client, you know, generation and getting clients like, you know, I know in the beginning you were going off of referrals, but referrals are great, but I think there still has to be a process of generating clients and getting business. So my question is what has worked best for you? And I think I'm going to make it a two-part question because I think it's really important because I think what worked for you prior to the pandemic might be a different answer than what worked for you during this pandemic time that we're kind of still in, because I think the way that people do business has changed a lot. So maybe you can give us like a pre pandemic scenario of, you know, how you generate more clients in business. If you have a sales team that cold calls or you go to a lot of events, you host your own events, like talk to us a little bit about building your business. Like, how did you do that? Wonderful question. Although I would say that there is no secret recipe to this. So it could be applied to literally any business who are selling services. The best thing is you need to have your brand presence in the right time, uh, the right time in the right places. So we would go to, and we still go to, my sales team goes to a lot of business networking events and serious business, business networking events. So they won't just go and slap business cards on people and say, oh, da, 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 da. we will actually run through the guest list. We will target people who we really want to meet. And then my sales team goes in there and they meet those people and they make sure that they get a chance to make a conversation for the first four or five minutes. So that is one. The second is obviously online. We don't say that we have served so much clients and we do this and we do that. We don't do that. We just have a good online presence where people can you know, learn about us and that's about it. But we don't advertise or we haven't done a paid campaign or any organic campaign to sell our services. You know, we've never done that. The third thing is that sometimes people Google and, you know, brand marketing is something which literally revolves around a lot of trust. So, and you have to make sure that you're trustworthy. You have the right people who somebody can cross check with, people can wet you. Some of the clients, not just testimonials, you know, copy pasted on your website, but they have to be real people. People can speak to, you need to share case studies. You need to give people the understanding of every single business vertical you talk to. So, you know, for us right now, it's less of a business development process. For us, it's more about that we have so many inquiries coming through that particularly post pandemic that we are literally picking and choosing the right clients for the last three years. And that doesn't mean that it depends on the dollar value of the invoice. It really depends as to what is more challenging, what is new, and what kind of business verticals do we really want to take a deeper dive? What are those verticals of the future? So for example, health is the future. Ad tech is the future. Visual arts is the future. Metaverse is the future. So the moment we receive clients from some of these, you know, business verticals or fintech, particularly, immediately we pick up that client and we're like, okay, we want to do business. So it doesn't matter if we're is $5,000 or $5 million, but less work. So for us, it's really uh, all about building our portfolio and excitement. Yes, revenues too, but then we also do a lot of SMEs. We do a lot of corporations and all the rest of it. So you, you reach a point where business just comes to you. And again, I, I myself have a very strong presence, you know, on, on multiple platforms. So people kind of know me, they, they like me, they love me for what I've done for them. 
and how we as, or me myself as a business leader has been able to execute and deliver my promises. So that is very important, you know, because still at the end of the day is referral. So for example, somebody asked me, oh, is there somebody who can help me out in Chicago with, you know, with, with, with doing a podcast or with doing some great digital marketing or let's say mesmerizing marketing. Instantly, I'm going to say Dimple, you know, just go to Dimple. And that carries a lot of weight. So I think this is what it really boils down to, particularly when it comes to marketing. And yeah, and then generally, you know, there are, there are random leads reaching out to you as well. And, you know, you, you haggle and you hustle and you pick up that business. So having the market, right market insight is very important. What a lot of people do wrong is wasting time, let's say in Clubhouse, wasting time in the wrong rooms or going into the wrong networking events or sponsoring the wrong events or trying to, you know, focus yourself more on your own little community and then expecting that you're going to make millions of dollars of business out of that community doesn't happen. You need to go out, explore new geographic regions, new cities, new communities, new business, you know, um, areas where there are real people and real businesses and then reach out to them and, and, you know, network in the right way. It's not about what you do or what you can do. It is more about what hurts them and how you can heal them. That's really the difference when it comes to sales and marketing. Yeah. So it's about solving their, you know, solving their problem and, you know, yeah. determining what their pain points are. And I think any like good business plan, like if you set out to open up, you know, a new company, like the question is, what problem are you going to solve in the marketplace? Right. And how are you going to solve that problem? And if you can solve a problem that's pretty big and bodacious to, you know, to the other party, they're going to be willing to pay for that because people want solutions when they have a problem. Most of the time it is something urgent and they want that problem solved quickly because they know that if it's not solved quickly, it's going to cost them, whether it's monetary, whether it's emotional, whether it's, you know, anything, it can, it can be anything. And I think all the points that you brought up, I mean, those are all so important, right? And you're talking about going into different cities and different places and territories. And that explains why, you know, you have built a global company and global brand. But now even things with, let's talk about the metaverse for a minute, you know, it's that's coming about, you know, what are your plans for that? Are you embracing it? Are you going to get land in the metaverse? And are you going to provide any innovative services for your clients or, I mean, have you bought into that or are you still like, Hmm, let me, let me see what happens. It's still too early. No, I think it's not too early. It's out there and nobody can claim right now to be an expert in metaverse. None of us are, it is evolving. So we would like to be ahead of the learning curve to, to build a competitive edge once we not only have the early adopters, but once we have the early majority, embrace it and the bell curve. So during that hyper growth, we need to make sure that we do have a foundation, a structure in place and a framework that can grow exponentially and, and keep up with the pace of growth a few years from now. In order to achieve that, we are currently raising 150 million US dollar fund, which is going to be regulated under my investments business directed towards building a super metaverse, which is going to be quite competitive. And it's nothing run of the mill. It's not just having random people doing, you know, art and then putting NFTs around it. It's it's way beyond that. It's, it's a very solid community that we're trying to build, very inclusive and democratized and extremely meaningful. So we do, we are planning to put up an incubator, which is not a typical incubator, but a real accelerator. So, you know, we're, it's not a shark tank, it's not a dragon's den, it's, it's beyond that. And, you know, so we're creating specialized spaces, which delivers, you know, real value to people. And not just that you invest into a metaverse real estate and then you're like, oh, two days later it's gone up. And so it's not more, it's not a trading up. It's something which is more midterm, but very, very solid, but definitely gives you exponential ROI. I love that. It sounds like, you know, it's going to be sustainable and it's amazing how, you know, you're already thinking about that, but you're thinking about it from making it something very unique, you know, and not just like, oh, everyone's talking about the metaverse because they think it's a fancy new word to talk about, but it's not just talking about it. I mean, a lot of people are, you know, talking about it. They really don't even understand it that well. Right. And I think that you're right. No one is an expert in the metaverse yet because it's a new space. 
And the experts that are going to be real leaders and real experts, that's going to take a couple of years to come. It's not going to be overnight because it's it's evolving, it's changing. And every time you think you mastered one marketing concept or one marketing platform, everything changes and there's something new. And I think it's also important, Shafat, for entrepreneurs and business owners not to just blindly jump to the shiny object that comes about and to really do their research and do their homework and be strategic about their game plan instead of just jumping because they think, oh my God, this is the next big thing. I'm gonna get rich off of this. And and that's like the attitude that I see of a lot of people. And I feel like they are just followers. They flock to the crowd and they follow everyone else. But those people, Shafath, those are not leaders, right? A leader would develop their own path, right? And, and that path might sway from the main road and from the main street but like that's kind of like who you are you're you're like the leader but i'm sure you've seen people who just flock to every shiny new object that's very true i remember reading the merchant of venice long ago <laughs> in my school days and i remember the story there when Bassanio or Bassanio, i'm forgetting the name but went out to seek out for portia and you know they were presented with three boxes gold silver and lead you know and this the, the winner actually picked up lead that's so true sometimes it's, it's just like when you're mining coal you find diamonds but for that you need to get your hands dirty and you need to get inside a coal mine and you might end up building a diamond mine so it's 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 extremely important to understand that not everything that glitters is gold and not everything that if you do as in you put all the pomp and show on on social media and you glitter 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 but you're unhappy inside and you know that you're living a fake life uh, a split personality and it's not authentic it's not original that gap between the real you and the wannabe you is going to increase and when the gap increases between the two the tension increases. And when the tension and the stress increases, it makes you unhappy. So be it be it whoever we are, Dimple, I think at the end of the day, real brands, authentic, original brands. And you know, it's just like when you wear one of those pair of Wrangler or Diesel or Levi's, and they would say original jeans, right? Original. Originality is important. Uh, the real you is important. And that is what makes a leader a leader. Uh, a leader is not someone who, I mean, somebody once asked me, Shabbat, you've been so successful in the corporate world. And I just posed a question. I said, it really depends. How do you define success? All right. If it's the bank account or wealth, maybe yes. If it's um, fame, well, no, I'm not very famous. I'm not a celebrity. Um, not as big a celebrity as many others are. And I don't want to be. And how do you define success? So how how do we define success? What do we want out of our life? Is perhaps more important than being a leader. Sometimes it's good to work behind the curtains, more like a director, more like somebody who orchestrates things compared to somebody who fights for elections and doing election campaign. It's really your choice. The funny part is that both of them are leaders in their own disciplines. Both of them are experts in what they do. So it's really what path you choose and what is your natural you? And your natural you needs to be perfectly aligned with the professional you. And your professional you needs to make sure that you are trustworthy, credible, truthful, transparent, and value-driven when it comes to your professional expertise. And you take responsibility of everything you say and you do. And you always deliver on your promises. So I think all of that defines the basic character of any leader out there. And before we try to become leaders of our companies or other people, if you are a leader of your own self, your own inner self, you will eventually transform into a leader, which will lead others to. I absolutely love that. That is gold. This has been so amazing. And I just wanted to ask you, is there, is there anything that you wanted to share that I didn't ask you about yet? Oh, I think this is one of the most amazing podcasts that I've ever been on to. And as you know, I, I don't go on podcasts as such. I'm very, very picky, but you, Dimple, you are such an amazing friend. You're one of the finest in your professions and you are you are a peer in, in our industry who who is definitely inspiring. We need to realize that 
Today's world and era is about collaboration compared to, com to competition or competitiveness. It is the area to, you know, do joint ventures, to, to support each other, to pass business to each other, to share opportunities, to, to share our challenges and problems, to share solutions. So you're one of those people who, who has observed me, seen me, supported me, and I've tried to do my best in supporting you. I think this is one of the most beautiful experiences that I've ever had on an, on an audio interview. And I'm truly honored, privileged, and definitely very, very excited is to hear what our audience have to say on, on, your, on your podcast once their feedback comes. So we can improve and I can learn and I can improve as we go forward with this. But I think you've covered almost every single thing. It was beautifully done. So thanks a lot. Thank you so much. You were so sweet. And I think the world of you, I think the first time I met you in the clubhouse room, it just, I, we just clicked, you know, and there's certain people that you just click with and their words really move you, you know, and it was just, there's something about you that was magnetic. It was the way that you would speak, but then it wasn't just the way you would speak. It's like the knowledge that you had and, and the way that you positioned, you know, concepts and things. And it's like, it never gets boring, right? It, it never gets old. Cause you know, I can't listen to the same people for too long. I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear their voice anymore enough already because it sounds like they're talking about the same stuff over and over. But I've been in so many different rooms with you on Clubhouse, and it's like every time I'm there, I'm like, oh, wow, that was, like, so powerful. That was, like, such an amazing talk, right? And so, you know, I'll definitely be having you back on the show. And I wanted to thank you so much for being my special VIP guest on my 50th episode, because that is something to celebrate. And I'm super excited. And I wanted to thank you. And I also wanted you to have the opportunity now to tell our listeners and audience, you know, where they can connect with you and follow you. And if you have a website you want to give out, or what's the best way to like follow you on social media and connect with you offline? So first of all, thank you for, for inviting me and, you know, you know, giving me an opportunity and, and sharing your valuable time and heartiest congratulations once again on your 50th. It's, it represents your persistence. It represents your commitment and it represents your belief in what you do. So congratulations on that. And I can't wait to have another beautiful panel orchestrated and organized for you on your hundredth episode to celebrate in a much bigger way than what it is today. And I would love to do that. People can reach out to me by just searching my name, which I'm sure will be on the on the podcast. There are two ways. You can come through my company uh, or my corporate websites if you research Stallion Gates Asset Management or you uh, search Brand Beat Advertising and, and you'll find everything out there. But, you know, you'll, you'll go through the corporate process, right? <laughs> so if you want to just reach out Shafat, because it is me today at with Dimple. So, you know, just mention that, hey, Shafat, I heard your podcast with Dimple. And trust me, you'll be given a very special treatment directly by myself just because of this amazing woman from who is the founder and CEO of Mesmerizing Marketing, someone that I truly respect. And I'll make sure that if you come through her reference or the reference of this podcast, you will definitely be served well. So just Google my name, Shafat, and you can reach out to me on any of the social media handles. It'll make it simple. Well, I will link your social media handles and any um, brand websites that you want in the show notes as well, just to make it easy for our audience. But this has been absolutely delightful. And I'm so glad I went all the way back to when you were five years old. I mean, I, and that was a surprise. I didn't tell you I was going to do that. And, and I think that's what made this episode so amazing is because we talked about so many things and, and I think that our audience is really going to enjoy it. So if you do listen to this episode, make sure that you guys share it. Make sure you go follow Shafath on his Instagram, which I'll link and connect with him and, you know, make sure that you share it with, with your other entrepreneur friends and, and anyone that you think, Hey, they can benefit from listening to this episode. So thank you so much. Shafath. Thank you so much, Temple. It was such a pleasure. God bless you brings you all the happiness and my prayers and blessings to everybody who's listening or who might be listening in, tuning in. And guys, please do follow Mesmerizing Marketing 
And yes, Dimple is someone who is an expert on what she does. So follow her advice too. Dimple, thanks a lot. It's been a real pleasure. And once again, congratulations on your 50th episode. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Mesmerizing Marketing Podcast. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe to the show so you don't ever miss an episode. And also share it with your friends. Dimple would be so grateful if you could take a minute to leave a review and visit the podcast website to check out all the latest episodes at www.mesmerizingmarketingpodcast.com. That's www.mesmerizingmarketingpodcast.com. And follow Dimple on Clubhouse. Her handle is Marketing Expert. And also join her Mesmerizing Marketing Club also on Clubhouse for live rooms on top marketing strategies for entrepreneurs and business owners who want to mesmerize their marketing. 